the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 180. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... Uh, this is Ed with Coke Zero this time. And this is Little Debbie. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of January 3rd through January 16th. We have a total of three books to cover, a very small amount of news, and we have a ton of listener Q&As. With that, we're going to get straight into the news. Only a couple of small things. On January 7th, Greg Capullo sent out a tweet saying that he was waiting on DC to approve my new Batsuit design. It's a winner and my best idea. I hope they agree. It's downhill from here if not. So what's interesting about this is if he's putting together a Batsuit now, that we would we would believe that that Batsuit is going to appear in issue number 50, which is also Capullo's last issue. It's weird in my mind that they would go to the lengths of creating a new Batsuit for Batman and have an artist who is only on the book for one issue, and then it's going to switch to a different artist on the next issue. To me, that just seems weird, but I guess in some ways, Capullo actually goes along, gets it approved. I suppose that uh, that could be a reason for him to come back, because he just he uh, actually designed the new suit, I guess. Well, I think that this is probably like... I think that for Capullo, this is probably just going to be a short-term thing. I think he plans on coming back in six months or so. Um, plus, I mean, let's face it, if you're an artist, one of the, one of the cool things you probably get to do is, is design costumes and having the opportunity to design the new bat suit moving forward would probably be something kind of cool for an artist. Only other small bit of news we have is right just, just this past weekend, uh, before the weekend, I should say on January 15th, the variant covers for April were revealed. The variant covers will feature art by John Romita Jr., uh, similar to the ones we've seen in the past with by Darwin Cook. We had a Neil Adams month. There's just basically <clears throat> the artist will do a number of variant covers for the, you know, the strew of books that are occurring. So that's what you can look forward to. Obviously solicitations are right around the corner. So as you're listening to this, solicitations will have already been released uh, and we'll discuss those on the next episode. So that is all the news we have. I don't have anything else of value to talk about as far as news, so we're going to just jump straight into our comic reviews. And the very first one we have is Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 47, The Bronze Age, Blood of Heroes. Story and words, Peter J. Tomasi. Pencil, Fernando Pissarin. Inks, Matt Ryan. Color, Chris Sotomayor. Somewhere in Gotham City... Someone prepares a musket. And I do want to make a note that throughout, whenever you see the antagonist speaking, all of his quotations are coming from George Washington. Uh, they're very much taken out of context. There are different periods of George Washington's life, whether coming up with the army that would uh, attack the first army of America, sort of that would attack Britain, or taking his first inaugural speech as president, or later on in his life. So just... Realize that because it's very out of context and it sort of bewildered me for a while, but I just want to make that note. Elsewhere, Jim Gordon, not wearing his robo suit, 
looks in on several different family events, strengthening his resolve to continue doing what he's doing. A red-haired father and daughter reminds Jim of Babs, and he calls her. And at this point in time, she's working as Batgirl, and they both chatter and pretend that they lead normal lives. After the call, Jim hears a gunshot and comes upon a dead Revolutionary War soldier, then gets shot from behind, and he's a little dazed, and he shoots back some batterings before he's, he passes out. At Woodcrest Cemetery, the uh, wounded killer pulls out a battering from his back, and then he takes off his face and replaces it with another from a wall of faces. I mean, sort of a la Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. He then turns to a victim tied up to a chair and shaves his face and then potentially kills him right there as you hear a muffled scream. At the Gotham City Morgue, Jim and Harvey look over the body of the victim from the alleyway. It seems that he was killed by a lead musket ball while Jim was shot with a rubber bullet, which seems strange. Jim leaves suddenly, pulling a a Batman on poor Harvey, when he gets a hail from Julia and Daryl. They pick him up and they go to the site where someone apparently got tangled up to the top of Wayne Tower in some kind of weather balloon. But when they get there, they see that it is a dead astronaut and presumably the guy who was tied up in the chair. Next up, monuments and mystery. Okay, my first question is, do you think that the tone, the overall tone of the book changes when Jim is in the robo suit? Compared to this particular issue where he's just sort of Jim in a Batman suit with no extra accoutrements. I think so. I think the, for me, it comes across as the tone has changed drastically from previous, the previous story that Tomasi was written. Now, I'm not, in, I'm not including the, uh, version, the issue from last month because that was kind of a one-off issue that we didn't even deal with here because it dealt with Robin War, uh, which also had little to do with Robin Moore and was not a very good book. But going back to the story that Tomasi did before with Jim dealing with the Justice League, I have to say, just based off of this one issue, I'm looking forward to what's coming. And I think the tone has changed because, I mean, there's an immediate tone change in the beginning where, you know, he is dealing with, you know, he thinks of Barbara and he calls her and we see that interaction between the two of them and how, you know, they work well they work off each other's comments and things like that. And I think that's unique. And Tomasi is probably best known for these family interactions and things like that. So this is getting to what Tomasi is really good at, not just necessarily just telling the story, which is what I felt he was doing with the justice league story previously. Yeah. I think that this is more what we were wanting to see when Tomasi took over the book. Um, yeah, I, I do like this. I, I do like Jim here. Um, in the, I don't know what we call the regular bat suit, uh, the, the, the black suit. Um, it seems like that the, maybe the mech suit, so much of the focus was the suit itself. Um, and I think that having Jim in this environment kind of lets us focus on him more. Uh, this seems more like, although it's still Jim bats, it still seems more like a Batman story with Jim Gordon as Batman, as opposed to super heavy, which definitely feels like it's, it's a, a focusing on, on some different things. So yeah, I, I don't, I really didn't think about it as, as the suit difference, but yeah, I, th- I think I do like this iteration of it better. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you guys. And it was more, I think, humanizing uh, to see him in there. And he always relates to his robo suit almost as a separate entity because he calls it his partner. He calls it rookie sometimes. 
And I think here, once he was taken away from that, you almost see how much he had come to rely on that because, you know, he makes that little misstep at the very beginning. And then later on, he, he chides uh, Julian Darrell and says, did you have to make me run for the thing, you know? So so I think it was great just to see him out and, and make him believable as um, sort of a startup hero and, and still getting the ropes and him almost being the rookie. And I, I think I thought more of him as Jim Gordon rather than Batman, just because he wasn't in this overgrown suit. You got to see his interactions with Harvey and Batgirl as Jim Gordon. And even Harvey made the point of, Hey, can you take your mask off? You know, so it can be like old times. So I thought it was a really um, great issue to, to sort of get to the, relationship aspect uh so my other question is about this villain obviously it's the first issue you don't really get to know too much about him except that he has some sort of uh revolutionary war fetish potentially or just hero fetish uh but uh what did you think of him did you think that he was intriguing enough to keep you wanting because obviously this is the first part of a potentially several part story um were you interested in him and and his antics and did you know about the quotes did those because it threw me off the very first page i i read it several times trying to figure out what's going on and then you know upon doing research and we're like okay well these are out of context so the quotes the villain what did you think so as far as the villain, I, I have to say, like, it, it intrigues me because I am a history buff. I, I, you know, not just within comic continuity is, you know, it's all about the history as Stella points out for me all yeah. the time. I've heard but, about that, yeah. But <laughs> I, I, I also enjoy just American history and it seems like that's what they're dealing with is a lot of American history. George Washington, we have the astronaut, you know, there's a number of other, who knows what else we're going to see. But I think just, just the idea of the person who's dressed in the, you know, the patriotic garb from the 1700s, that I think is really cool. I think that the astronaut, I mean, we don't know anything about it, but the fact that it's clearly just, it's not just a specific time frame, it's within a large, uh, which, which, within the entire American history, uh, I think there's a lot of different things that they could do that would be unique. The quotes did kind of throw me off. I wasn't real sure what was going on at the time. I did have to reread them a couple of times, but the, the villain itself and the idea of it is intriguing, but it's not deterring from the point of the story, which is again, just to build Jim up, which I think is the most important thing. And I think that's what Tomasi succeeds at the most. So to have this villain, yes, it's intriguing and it's interesting. It doesn't need to be taking away from the other story. Like Mr. Bloom seems to do sometimes over in Batman, uh, taking away from Jim as Batman. Um, so I think that this is probably, you know, this is, this is a good, good start for a new story arc. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about the quotes too. I, I kind of got them. I, it took me a second and then I realized what was going on. Um, I'm curious how we'll do this. If, if we'll have him speaking only Washington quotes or if we'll get maybe a, a maybe it'll be Jefferson and Adams, you know what I'm saying? Like, will we get an issue of him quoting? early presidents or founding fathers, or maybe even go to like John F. Kennedy next if we're going to the moon landing. So yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a kind of history guy too. So this story is something that really appeals to me. Um, and, and I do think that the, the villain here who is Stella said in her rundown is kind of did seem like the faceless man, you know, from game of Thrones. And when I saw the wall, I'm like, I've seen that before, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, so, it, but interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be like you know, doll mocker or anything like that. Um, so I'm pretty sure this is just going to be 
something new that Tomasi came up with. I'm interested. Um, yeah, I, I, this is this is kind of what I wanted to have Tomasi on the book for. It was a story like this, and and I feel like this is something that I've, I'm I'm really looking forward to the next issue of Detective now. First of all, I can't believe you pronounce it Dolmacher as if we're watching the Gotham TV series. (laughs) That's not Gotham. Um, You know, when I I was reading these quotes, um, they're interesting once you do the research and sort of the backstory. They don't work as well, I think, as in Detective with Batwoman when her sister... Um, was doing all the quotations from Alice in Wonderland, and it's sort of really related to what was actually going on in a in a in a certain sense. Uh, whereas this one, they just seem very out of context and not really going along with uh, what's happening. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe they'll they'll there will start to be a more fluidity with them, and depending on, I mean, it could be coming from any sort of historical character, but maybe it's reflecting what he's doing uh but it is very intriguing uh the face thing almost reminded me of professor pig um i, I don't just the idea of the the faces changing and everything um you know the, but, the the face masks thing when i first saw it it actually reminded me of jane doe oh but i yeah. knew it obviously could not be jane doe but the way that was they were holding that mask and the eyes were lining up and you could clearly see it was a mask i thought that's what it yeah. was but Especially when they started shaving the guy's face, I thought, oh, they're taking this guy's face off. But that wasn't the case. Uh, But no, I I think he is very much intriguing. I'm wondering also if he'll keep to one strict timeline or he'll sort of move because, as you, Ed, pointed out, you know, moving sort of into the 60s with the moon landing and everything, how will that be? And then the big question is also, why not take out Batman when he had the chance? I think that was the strangest mystery, just using that rubber bullet um, and just... Yeah. What are his, it's a very strange serial killer, really. I think this is something that we've not really seen. Um, he's kind of strange, like nail biter. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I am intrigued. And so I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. I feel like it could be an actual detective investigation and getting back to the roots of what this book should be. The downfall is that this is only going to last for about three months. So <sighs> that's the only thing that kind of stinks. What, do you mean the storyline's only going to last for three months? Yeah, I imagine that this is going to wrap up in issue 50, which will be an oversized issue. But I feel as if this story, which is where we wanted Tomasi to be back when he came onto the book back in, what was it, October? So, and yes, there was a month off or whatever, but I feel like this is where we wanted him to be in doing with the book back then. And now he's getting to it, but it's only going to last three issues because if... Jim doesn't stay in the bat suit once Bruce Wayne's back in the bat suit, which we know is happening in issue 50 of Batman. Then, how could anything, how, you know, how can this story continue? So, unless of course he's not Batman, he just continues the investigation on his own, and then Detective just becomes a Jim Gordon book and not a Jim Gordon Batman book. Yeah. So, or Detective becomes Jim Gordon Batman book and Batman's Bruce Wayne Batman book. Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I don't think that'll happen. And Batgirl's the Robin and Detective. That'd be great. I'm totally down for that. Like, sign me up. If we if this became the Batgirl, where, where Batgirl and Jim are working together in Detective, I'm in. Let's go. All right. So with this issue, uh, I'm giving a total of four out of five. That sounds about right. Four out of five. And I will third that and say four out of five. And Corbin also gave it four over on the website, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 48 a total of four out of five. Bad ranks. 
Let's move into our next set of books. Batman and Robin Eternal. Batman and Robin Eternal, number 14, starting with, uh, we, this issue was script by James Dean IV, and art was by Fernando Blanco and Roger Robinson. Uh, the issue starts off with Robin and Batman heading towards a chemical plant where they believe that the Scarecrow is at. Uh, as they get there, uh, they are talking about a number of different things, specifically dealing with mother and, uh, mother having kind of having uh, access to Batman's comms and him talking to Batman, talking to mother while Dick is, is, uh, fighting. Uh, Batman specifically tells him it's in your head. You, you know, you're, you're not because Dick questions what's going on. Uh, we cut to the nursery at present time where we see, uh, Dick Harper, Cassandra and orphan who, as we saw in the last issue, were just told that there's a, there's a bomb that's going to go off, that's going to blow up the entire nursery. Um, as they talk about this, uh, they say, well, we need your help, David. Where could it be? We need to get out of here. David says, why on earth would I help you guys? Don't you get it? This is a test. It's always a test. I can't disobey Mother. That would be horrible. I must keep you guys here so you can die. So he activates these robots, and the robots start attacking. Uh, Dick Grayson specifically goes after Orphan, and they start fighting. As that's happening, uh, Harper and Cassandra are trying to access uh, the the drones slash robots to make them stop attacking. Uh, we cut to present time where Batman is talking with Scarecrow. Scarecrow says, I'm a psychologist, and I've deduced that you are afraid of fear. You have a fear of fear itself. Uh, I also realize that you are a person who has dealt with lost. Um and he he explains this, and he says that's why uh, you need a new partner because your other partner is isn't what you need. Uh, Scarecrow, Batman tries to tell Scarecrow, you need to help me take down Mother. He says, nope, not happening. The whole reason I worked with her was out of curiosity and how she deals with the human mind. Present time, Cassandra is ripping these robots to shreds. Harper realizes that there's a plane on in inside the base, but the only way to access it is with David Kane's retinal scan, which they know they're not going to get, so they decide that there's pretty much no hope for them. Harper sheds a tear. Cassandra shows some remorse, and they have uh, they embrace in a hug when all of a sudden the robots come, and they say, well, if we're going to go down, we're going to kick some robot butt while we can. Um, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all the robots just drop out of the, the sky. Um, and we find out that Dick Grayson was fully aware that David Kane had the c- controls, and he says that uh, he he has a lot of bottled frustration, and he's convinced that we are all just here under blind devotion to Batman, but we're out. So Dick, who's cut and bloodied, they grab uh, Orphan's body, they get to the plane, and they escape as the as the entire base blows up behind them. Next, St. Dumas. So we get to the next issue, issue number 15. The script this time is by Jackson Lang- Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Christian Deuce. Um, this time around, we cut to St. Dumas, and we see a desert where Tim is dragging the body of Jason Todd, and they are approaching some sort of base that, or city, I should say, that Azrael is currently at meditating. He is then leaves his meditation only to 
fight holographic images of both Tim and Jason. Um, we then see that uh, both Tim and uh, we see Azrael put on a mask, which I have to say is, is is interesting because it looks exactly like the Red Hood mask, only with the Azrael symbol painted across the front of it. I think that might be an interesting point to remember for later on. Um, but they uh, he leaves the building that he was he was in, and we see that Tim and Jason are outside, and Tim says, uh, "It was me. Uh, it's you know it's, we it's you know it's time to." to deal with this, and we then see uh, members of the Saint Order of St. Tomas basically take Jason and throw him into a pit, pit closes, and he's stuck inside the pit. Uh, but we see that that was all planned. They removed all of his gadgets and things like that, but he had a batarang that he had stored inside of his mouth, explosive batarang. Uh, we see uh, Tim talking to Azrael, as Tim is basically saying that he understands that he is somebody who is important to the Order of St. Dumas, we then see him come across a person who is called the, well, the person who is in charge of the entire order, uh, who's hooked up to the actual world uh, through a number of what appears to be some sort of cerebral-type cords as he's hooked up and he knows everything there is to know. He then says that Tim Drake and Azrael must fight to the death, and the one who wins will be the new, uh, basically the new lead warrior of the Order of St. Dumas. Cuts to Prague several years ago, where Scarecrow is talking with Mother and explains that he knows there's thing, he knows things about Batman, um, but he's not sure why she wants to work with him. Um, we see David Kane say, I don't think you should trust Scarecrow, and she says, it doesn't matter, prepare the child, Batman must go to Cairo and, and deal with this. Uh, we then see Batman talking to Mother as Dick is training in the background. Uh, Dick says, uh, what, what are we, what's going on? What are we doing? And Batman finally reveals to Dick what is exactly going on. Uh, he says that they have to go to Cairo and they have to take care of something. And he says, okay, great. Uh, we cut to present time where Jason, the explosion has gone off. Jason is now fighting with Tim Drake to take down Azrael. We see uh, Azrael grab one of the, I guess, henchmen, I guess you could call him, um, and he basically makes his entire body engulfed in flames. We see an EMP device go off that knocks out everything. Um, because of this, uh, the Order of St. Tomas is kind of screwed, and Azrael has... Uh, Tim throws a grenade, which appears to be some sort of cement grenade or something like that, at him, which freezes him in place. Uh, the guy in charge of the Order of St. Tomas, who's hooked up to the cords, he actually, uh, he's able to still access things, and he stops uh, some Robin Rangs from flying at him. And we then see that uh, Tim Drake is connected to the... Uh, the guy in charge, and he says, uh, "When you just need some adjustments, and then you'll be all set." Uh, meanwhile, Red Hood uh, is—he has his mind uh, engulfed by what they call ichthys, and uh, he sees a horrible vision of the Joker coming at him with a crowbar. Next up, jokes on you. Uh, starting with issue number fourteen, uh, we see that Dick takes out David Kane, and we see that they escape the nursery. 
I don't think anybody in their right mind actually thought that there wasn't a way that they were going to escape the nursery and they were all going to die. Uh, there's a couple of interesting little moments here. Uh, first up, I think one to call out is the hug thing because, as it turns out, as we'll get into listener Q&As later on, a number of listeners commented on the fact that because I said the, uh, the hug embrace between Batman and Cassandra was just kind of whatever, it was just there, it existed. Turns out it actually is an important moment, mm. as the two of you pointed out. <laughs> and uh, we, we see, you know, Cassandra embracing the hug with Harper Rowe. So thoughts on that compared to the, you know, let, let's just in general talk about the importance of hugs because it was called <laughs> out to me during listener Q&As that hugs are very important to Cassandra Kane's character, and I was not meaning I was not thinking that they were as important as I was basically scolded into believing. So what we're saying is that hugs are important. It is a way for people to show friendly emotion towards each other. Um, that's what a hug is. Uh, the reason it's important to, to Cass, obviously, I think, is that she kind of was brought up where there was no physical contact that wasn't someone giving you a beating, you know? Um, so for her, positive reinforcement of any kind, I mean, it looks like all of her discipline was of the negative reinforcement time, which is you do bad, you get beaten, and if you do well, you get told, well, you're supposed to do well. So I think positive reinforcement for her is almost non-existent, and I think now a positive emotional reinforcement, this hug type situation that we get from Harper, previously from Batman, just someone who's been, you know, like her, brought up like her, it would be extremely important. I mean, it would, you know, she has had never had any of this. Um, in her life. So now she all of a sudden goes from being on her own and being, being trained to kill her for the majority of her life to a group of people that's accepting and outgoing and, and giving her emotional support. So yeah, I think the way we're going to evolve Cass from who she was when she was under the Kane's tutelage and mothers until what I think we all think she'll become a hero in her own right, maybe the black bat or, or, or some variation of that. Um, yeah, th- this kind of building her into a more well-rounded person is, Obviously, I think the whole backbone of the story. Yeah, and, and she doesn't hug everyone. So yeah, she's not a hugger. Yeah, right, I mean, right. Yeah. So we we do have to make that clear at least. Um, I, I think it's the people that she hugs are really chosen carefully, and, and those are the ones that she has just a great relationship towards. And you know, Harper. I think we've sort of seen this. This is the different character that we've not really seen before. And, and I, um, I thought that was a great moment just because Harper knows what, you know, Cass had done, um, and she's still accepting of her. And she was, she's always gone to bat for Cass throughout this eternal story and was always concerned with her. And, and I think that Cass, uh, recognizes that. Um, but pre, you know, Flashpoint universe, it was, you know, Babs and, um, Bruce were sort of this mother and father-like figure, um, just adding two different dimensions to Cass's life. And I think those were the deepest bonds and, and that those are the ones that you could see when there was, um, some sort of hug. But when all the physicality that, that Cass is trained or just experiences is negative, um, to have her be able to embrace someone without the idea that, you know, I'm going to choke this person to death, yeah. I'm going to choke them out, uh, is just such a, a beautiful thing. Um, and, of course, she had to grow into that 
Um, and, and I, yeah, I don't know. So that's why it, it is very important for the character. And I think, um, perhaps in this setting, in this eternal, it's not as apparent. I think you really have to be uh, knowledgeable to a certain extent of her past to see why it is important, because I don't know if her origin was as well laid out as it could have been. Um, but we do see a little bit, you know, in those flashbacks in the, in the last episode that we did. But um, you kind of do have to go back, I think, and see how, you know, she was brought up and, and you know, her, her introduction in No Man's Land and then her own. But, uh, yes, hugs are important. And that's why, you know, I was very focused on that hug between Batman and Cass because that is such an important relationship. And, and, and I felt like they really got it there. Okay, then moving from that interaction... Uh, to issue number 15. Uh, you know, we, we called this out the last time we had a story arc with Jason and, uh, with both Jason and, uh, Tim that they, they, they play off each other really well and they continue to see, we continue to see that done really well with them playing off each other. The dialogue between them is very, is very well written between the two of them. Um, the characters, I mean, if this is not a resume builder for a potential series, but with, uh, yeah, yeah the, the two of them with, uh, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly writing the book, I don't know what is because they're doing a great job. This reminds me a lot of when, uh, Tim Seeley was working on Batman and, or Batman Eternal, and then he went on to go on to Grayson. So anyway, my point is that, they're doing a great job of the dialogue. The thing that, to, for me, is deterring me from making this a really good story is actually the Azrael stuff. Not so much that I don't like the character. I like the fact that he's been brought back in, but it feels like we're going, like, overload with the St. Dumas stuff mm. more so than we really need to. And, you know, we've got this whole underlying story of what's happening with Mother, and I feel like the St. Dumas stuff is honestly just getting thrown in to be thrown in because... In some ways, it feels like it's filler because there's not. We still have we still have no idea what the connection is between the Order of Saint Dumas and Mother. There's there's been you know there's they've shown that there is a connection, but we don't know why there's a connection. Why is it that they're going to these people? You know, is it just because they are providing people? Is it because they're rewriting people's minds? It just feels like now we're three issues into the Saint Dumas story. We're dealing with you know Azrael but we still don't understand what this has to do with the rest of the story that's already taking place. So for me, I'm not opposed to Azrael popping up. I just feel like this is a different direction, and this is almost coming across as that Arkham Asylum stuff that was t happening in Batman Eternal that is so out of place from everything else. Thoughts on that? I think that, you know, we, we've got two very divergent, well, three storylines if you count the flashback storyline. Uh, we've got the Azrael storyline, we've got Cass's storyline with Dick and those guys, and we have the, the flashback storyline. So we have three separate storylines. I think that the same thing happened in Eternal. When you had three separate storylines going, it seemed too much. Um, I'm not totally as put off with the Azrael stuff. I, I liked it when it when we first got introduced, but the past issue, this issue especially, seemed like it kind of lost the beat on the Azrael storyline to me. Um I'm not sure what's going on here. I don't feel like it's as divorced as the, the, the supernatural stuff in Eternal was like way in left field. Remember? Like, yeah. it, it was way out there. I, I understand what you're saying as far as like the, the concept. I don't think it's as, as divorced as the, as the supernatural stuff was. Um, but it definitely has a, a feeling of disconnect. And I feel myself 
when I get to the Azrael stuff, kind of, this is going to sound terrible. It's not meant to be slugging through it to get back to the cast stuff, if that makes any sense. So yeah, I do understand. I don't, again, I don't think it was as bad as the eternal problems, but I do, do understand the feeling. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, if it would help to have Azrael, but not have everything that surrounds at, like with Dumas and, and, um, sort of the, 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 the system and all, like all of the stuff basically that we did in 15, if they didn't have that, but just had the character of Azrael and then, you know, have a potential spinoff and, and develop that, would it have been easier? But I, I think honestly, that was also my problem, you know, sort of the, the slogging through, as you said, because it just seemed like we have these two characters. We've got, uh, Jason and Tim that are on the mission that is connected with the main mission here. But then all of a sudden, it's almost as if we went into a spinoff episode, you know, yeah. Bill and Ted's excellent adventure basically to St. Dumas. And it just got really, it, it got a little Arkham, uh, out there, but it wasn't too bad because there was sort of a thread there. But I just wonder, you know, wait to have that backstory because maybe that is not the best. Because we already have, think about, you know, we're doing the orphan and the mother stuff with all, and the scarecrow, which is sort of the history, the back history of this whole storyline. But then you're adding something else, which is really huge and of its own as well. And so I think maybe it was just too much having basically what was going on in, in issue 15. To me, like I said, it just comes across as there's a lot going on. I, I just wish it was pared down. Now, the, the downfall is because we had that three week, we had three weeks, uh, for the last episode that we recorded, uh, we're kind of off the normal pace of Eternal where we would normally be reading two issues that are back to back with the same story arc written by the same writers. So it's kind of, so I can no longer ask the question of how's the flow because I guess the flow can only be from one story to the next. And honestly, there really wasn't a whole lot of flow. The, these these two stories did not connect in any way, shape, or, or these two issues, I should say, did not connect in a, in any sort of story way other yeah. than the flashback thing that just is the underlying thing that just continues on. So there was no references of anything that was going on on the other side of, you know, the world with Harper, Dick, and... Uh, Cassandra on the other side with, you know, with Tim and, and, uh, Dick. The one thing to point out is that it did say at the beginning of issue number 15 that this was taking place several weeks later from the time we last saw Dick and Tim, which mm-hmm. timeline wise doesn't match up. Uh, it does, I guess, explain how we, you know, Tim is suddenly fixed from his, you know, his mind being melded with, uh, or mm-hmm. by Azrael. But at the same time, we still have no idea how he is completely okay now, uh, and we're now several weeks later, which kind of puts a bump in things when you compare it to the other story taking place in the book. So, you know, that, as far as flow goes, it doesn't necessarily disrupt it. The, the flashback stuff still obviously works, but at the same time, there's no, you know, there's a disconnect from the present time timeline. So we'll wait and see what happens next issue. Maybe there will be some sort of reference to what's going on with Dick, Cassandra, and Harper. So with that, uh, starting off with issue number 14, I'm going to give three and a half out of five. Four out of five for that one. Three and a half out of five. And over on the website, Ian gave it four, so that's going to give issue 14, three and a half out of five. Uh, over on issue number 15, I'm going to give three out of five. Two and a half out of five. And three out of five for me, too. And Ian gave it four, so that's going to give issue number 15 a total of 
three out of five as well. So that is all of our books. Let's move over to the website and talk about the other spotlight books in what we like to call Greater Gotham. That's right, Greater Gotham. I say that stressing because there's a couple of comments that reference the fact that I that I was changing the name of it, and it is in okay. fact Greater Gotham. So, uh, moving into Greater Gotham, uh, first up we have uh, Batman Beyond number eight, reviewed by Jim. He gave it three out of five. This one starts the new story arc, and we are dealing with uh, Batman looking for Matt McGinnis, who has gone missing. Um, and he actually ends up traveling. Matt is actually on his way to Metropolis. So for this one, I'm giving a neutral. Uh, neutral. Thumbs up. Uh, next, Midnighter, number eight, reviewed by Tyler. He gave it a total of three out of five. This one deals with Midnighter dealing, uh, coming in contact with Spiral. Uh, looks like his story could be tying into what's going to be coming up in Grayson as well. So for this one, I'm also going to give a neutral. Uh, neutral. Neutral. Next, DC Comics Bombshells number 8, which covers digital chapters 22 through 24. This was reviewed by Stella. She gave it 3 out of 5. Stella, what happened in this one? Yep. Uh, so in the first part, it's Wonder Woman and Steve. They're sort of in a in a bad way and uh, just making their <laughs> – trying to get away from the American forces. And then they come upon some Tenebrae. And then in the latter two parts, it really focuses on the relationship between – Kara and um, Courtney, and Courtney finds out who her biological father is, and uh, Mira, who's also around these two girls, um, discovers that sea creature that we saw way back in issue number one, and it knows her. So slowly, the ties are, are starting to come together. DC Comics Bombshell number eight, I'm going to give a thumbs uh, neutral. neutral. A thumbs neutral. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little between the neutral and the thumbs up as well. Definitely the the Supergirl and uh, Star Girl are, are their relationship is the best part of that. All right, and then next we have Injustice Gods Among Us Year Five Number One, which covers digital chapters one through two. This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it four out of five. Uh, in this one, we kick off Year Five, which is the last year they will be doing for Injustice Gods Among Us. This is one of those series that just will not die. They just keep coming because it's obviously very popular. So with this one, we have Superman basically surveying what he has left as far as his team. Batman is still putting together his team, and it's revealed that Plastic Man was the person who made the giant explosion last at the end of the last year. So for this one, I'm going to give a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Neutral. Next, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number two, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it four out of five. This one sees the turtles, uh, basically get into a fight with Batman. Batman bests the best, uh, best all of them. Splinter ends up getting the turtles away from them, and then the turtles and Splinter end up infiltrating the Batcave at the very end of the issue. Uh, for this one, I'm gonna give you a thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up, loving it, man, loving it. Next, Batman 66 meets the man from Uncle Number 2, which covers digital chapters 3 through 4. This review by Gary. He gave it 3 out of 5. Batman is teamed up with the man from Uncle, 
well, the organization uncle, I should say. And, uh, they have, they, they are dealing with specifically in this issue, Poison Ivy and Egghead, who are, uh, trying to capture some sort of McGovern, McCuffin device. That's, that's basically what's going on. So for this one, I'm going to give a neutral. 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 Robin War, number two, reviewed by Bill. He gave it three and a half out of five. Um, we're not going to go into details of what exactly happened in this one. If you want to know exactly how Robin War ended, which we actually will discuss briefly later on, um, just kind of talking about our thoughts of what actually happened. But as far as Robin War number two, uh, this one I'm going to give a neutral. Uh, thumbs down. I guess I'll give it a neutral. <laughs> it's one of those wishy-washy ones, you know? All right, next, Catwoman number 48, reviewed by Mark. He gave it three out of five. Catwoman comes back to Gotham City, and they basically wipe the gang war that previously happened out of existence. Uh, this one I'm giving a thumbs down. Neutral. I'll give it a thumbs up. I like, well, I just want, I, I liked the appearance. Well, I think we're coming back into a time of the penguin popping up everywhere for some reason. Yeah. And um, because he's in Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, he's in Catwoman, and then he's also in, there's some other place that he was in. Eternal, didn't he pop up? No, no. Uh, Batman, I think. But anyways, um, but I did like sort of the clay face out of the wall, and then Killer Croc. He was on her side before, so this is a strange thing. So there you go. All right. Next, Red Hood Arsenal, number eight, reviewed by Jim. He gave it two out of five. This one has Arsenal and Red Hood dealing with the creatures from the underground that Joker's daughter does not have a very good relationship with. Um, specifically, if you read Catwoman prior to Genevieve uh, Valentine's run, uh, which... If you remember, this See, is also the time that... Nascente, uh, comma, Anne. <laughs> yes, that uh, Ed and I were doing those issues on the point five cast, and they were getting the lowest ratings we possibly could give because the story was horrible. And for some reason, they're bringing this story back into Red Hood and Arsenal. I don't understand it. I just, yeah, thumbs down. The, the only plus side is that the Joker's face is finally off of Joker's daughter. And she, was, and she was referred to as Dula. So. Thumbs down. Neutral. All right. Next, Gotham Academy number 14. This one was reviewed by Tyler. He gave it two out of five. This is a combination of four or three different stories. One dealing with Professor McPherson. One dealing with uh, Prank Week uh, with Colin and Eric. Uh, and then dealing with also th- those two are pulling a prank that involve that ends up involving Kirk Langstrom. Uh, and then the other story is Glee Club. Th- there is an underlying connection between the stories dealing with Olive and, and Maps. Um, but uh, for this one, it, it, it was okay. It wasn't up to par with some of the other stuff that they've done, so I'm going to give this a neutral. Neutral. Uh, I'll give it a thumbs up, mainly because I'm liking the, the different arts that they did. With Katie Cook and Dustin Owen. All right. Next, New Suicide Squad, number 16, reviewed by Mark. He gave it two and a half. This is the end of Sean Ryan's run on the book. Uh, Amanda Waller basically pulls all the stops to prove that she is, in fact, the big bad boss of all of these big bads. Um, so for this one, I'm going to give a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Next, Earth 2 Society, number eight, reviewed by Bill. He gave it four out of five. This one has Wonder Woman appear at the very end to deal with a lot of the characters. Outside of that, there wasn't a whole lot that happened. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Thumbs up. 
All right. And then uh, last but not least, uh, one of the new things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing on some of the other comics within the DC Universe that have guest appearances from members of the Batman Universe. Uh, this time around, we had one in Starfire. Starfire number eight had Dick Grayson guest star. Uh, Gary reviewed this one. We have a full review of the issue over on the website, and he gave it three out of five. Uh, I read this one. I thought it was it was okay, neutral. Uh, thumbs up. It's good to see Dick Grayson spending time with Starfire. It's more prominent. What? Yeah. No, it's well, not. We, we know good. why. He, we know why he wants that. But give me a break. <laughs> I'm going to give it a neutral. So the only other book that we uh, were unable to get a review done in time for this recording is Batman Superman. So uh, that one should be up by the time you're listening to this. So take a look over on the website for that. Uh, Batman Superman, I'm going to give a uh, neutral. 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 All right. So with that, that is all of our Greater Gotham books. Moving straight over into our Bat Signal. That's right. It's called the Bat Signal. So we have lots and lots and lots of comments. Um, so starting off, uh, first we have, well, Fredo says, love the podcast, but I have to point out just one thing. DK3 is set three years after DK2, rather than the many years as referenced in the podcast. So Bruce will be around 56, not 80. Thanks anyway for a great podcast. Now, I specifically, when he posted this comment, I sent him a message saying, where did you hear that? Because I didn't, I was under, I was not under the assumption that it was only three years later, um, from Dark Knight Strikes Again. So he actually posted two links to say where he found it, the timeline that is. Um, one of them was a link to the wiki for Dark Knight 3 Master Race. When I reviewed the entire wiki, I did not see anything saying anything about it was only taking place three years later. There was, he also posted a, uh, a link to an article for I, from IGN, which was a review of Dark Knight 3 number one. And I did see that it said it took place a couple years after DK2, but I'm not exactly sure where the person who's reviewing the book is getting their information because I looked back and I tried to find some sort of reference in interviews or anything like that. And I could not find anything saying, stating anything official or anything out of either one of the writer's mouth saying it was only taking place a couple years after DK2. So I'm not saying you're wrong, Walfredo. I'm just saying I unfortunately cannot find out exactly, you know, if that is, you know, if is hashtag confirmed as our TBU podcast guys would say. I, I don't know either. Like I, I had read something too that said that it mentioned somewhere that it, this took place when you have um the Bruce dying in the bed thing or whatever that that took place three years after his fight with Lex Luthor. But I can't, I can't seem to find it either. Um, it would make a lot more sense if Bruce was fifty six, fifty seven, not eighty. I'll say that. And in the scene we saw at the end of DK three with him at the um computers, he looks pretty much like the same Bruce from the other stories. You know. So maybe that is what they're going for here, because that would make Carrie, what, about 20 now? 22? So Yeah, somewhere around there. So yeah, that's, I mean, it works for me. I'm not sure that any of us said it was specifically taking place years later. Uh, I distinctly remember Donovan making a comment about how this was taking place years later, and if Bruce was dead, it shouldn't be a problem, because, uh, you know, it's taking place years later. I remember him saying a comment about that, but I don't remember 
any of us specifically saying what time frame it took place on. But I remember making some cracks about if Bruce is eighty, do we want him having the action shots or carry? Yeah, that's true. You know, so um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, I would I would like to hope maybe Azarella will just nail it down in, in this next issue or a future issue, just nail down Bruce's age. Um, but you know, who knows? All right, so next we have a really, really long comment from Ian, so I'm kind of going to break this into the way he's got it and respond, otherwise we'll never actually respond to all of this. Um, first he says, I really hope that Batgirl does turn into a team Batgirl or Junior Birds of Prey or even just a launching point for Batgirl Eternal, perhaps. Ooh. Stephanie, Cassandra, and Harper could all use a home while... And while Burnside isn't my favorite place in Gotham, they treated Steph with respect so far, so I could see them all getting along well. I agree with that completely. I don't think any of us have an issue with that. About how they've treated Steph? Yeah. Or the, the, whole, the whole thing, though? Well, whatever you like want. The comments that he's saying about, you know, turn back row into a team back row mm-hmm. or junior birds of prey. Yeah, I I have some. <laughs> don't speak for me, Dustin. Yeah. I'm not some... speaking for you, Stella. I left it wide open, and you're questioning what you're supposed to be responding with. Well, good, wonder, good. Well, because you said, you said, I think we all agree with that, and I wonder, well, what part do we agree with? And then I left a giant, gaping <laughs> moment of silence for you okay. to say, yes, I do, or no, I do not. Okay, well, I've got my swim cap on, and I'm diving in. So... My reservations are only that uh, it seems like if we do create a team Batgirl, that it's going to be Barbara with a bunch of rookies. And in the past, um, there's that we spend, you know, some other. And I guess this reflects the Stephanie Brown team Batgirl in a, in a sense. But if I'm thinking about Birds of Prey, there's always someone that uh, Barbara can play off of, sort of another person that can uphold the leadership and teach others. But if it's Barbara and Frankie, who I'm still very concerned about, and then Stephanie and, and whoever else may join, basically we've got this adult with a bunch of like teenagers and almost things. And, and Barbara is somewhat of an older teenager. So I'm just wondering how it's all going to go. Um, because is she field leader and you've got Frankie as the Oracle type and then other people, um, so I, that's just my, my reservation is I almost wish Black Canary would come back so we could have background Black Canary be the veterans and then, you know, training these rookies. Because as it is, there are just a lot of green members. So that's my concern there. But everything else, I, I agree with you there, Ian. Here's, here's my two cents. The, the, you know, I agree with the fact that they treat Steph with respect. I agree that Burnside's not my favorite place. I like the idea of team back roll, birds of prey. But the one concern I have, kind of piggybacking off of your comments, Stella, is that I don't know that Batgirl is actually being portrayed as a veteran. I really don't. Like, the way they're portraying her in the book, she does not come across as the type of person who's going to be able to lead a, a group of uh, of characters. Like you said, Black Canary coming in feels like that character, one, has m- much more experience than, than, than Barbara, and I don't know that the two of them could actually, like, co-lead a team, because there's a a significant experience gap between the two of them, in my opinion, at least the way it's portrayed in the book. Um, so I don't think that that is very likely. They'd have to come up with some other way, or it's just there's not a leader and it's just a group of them, which we we know that that's not going to work long term, but that could be some a direction that they go instead. All right, so then he says, making flagship titles like Batman or Detective Comics weekly or even bi-monthly is a terrible, terrible idea. Yes. Stead and Ed's analyses are dead on. Stead and Ed? Stead and Ed? Who, who the devil is who the hell that? Stead. 
Stedinella. Stedinella. It's like uh, we've been shipped together, Ed. Stead. Nice. That's our shipper name, Stead. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, so when we agree with something, we, we, we were the Stead approval. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Stella and Ed's analyses are dead on. Plus, there's always Dinny's response to 52. They'll do one thing that's really good, one that's just a cash-in, and one that's just absolutely terrible. And that's exactly what happened with 52 and its follow-ups. Batman Eternal's follow-up is much better than 52's follow-up, and I have absolutely zero desire to read either Future's End or Earth 2's weekly, mostly because both of them are clearly super downers. Lastly, Snyder almost certainly won't want to cut someone some of his other projects out to do Batman more frequently. He's already expressed interest in doing other characters. I would really like to see his Wonder Woman after his Superman. And he's also said multiple times in other interviews that he's really he really hates writing only big DC titles instead of having at least one creator-owned title running. Now, in regards to that, I you know the weekly, bi-monthly, I think it is a terrible idea, but at the same time, it's bound to happen. It really is. I just hope and you're wrong about this. You're we'll not. We'll find out. We'll find I out tomorrow. I mean, we're recording this on Sunday. You know, Monday's when they normally release solicitations. So we'll find out whether what's going to happen come April because there's big changes on the horizon for sure. But, uh, I, I, you know, the thing as far as Scott Snyder writing, you know, here's the thing. I agree with the fact that he wants to write smaller stories. He, or, you know, with not necessarily the big characters and he wants to be able to have his own creator stories. I get that, but I feel at the same time, the money is in with the other thing. And I'm not saying that Scott Snyder is a money hog in any way, shape or form because he's probably making more money than he wants to make because they slap his name on so many other books. But at the same time, I feel as if he's not going to be opposed to doing this if, you know, if it's right because he has said multiple times he doesn't want to do large stories and then he, he backtracks on that. There, there can't just be the reason of, well, I don't want to do small stories, but DC's telling me to do large stories. You know, he obviously wants to do the larger stories too. They obviously sell a lot better in large story format in, in trades because every time he comes out with a new trade, it's on the top of the New York sellers list. So New York Times bestseller list. So, you know, I think that, you know, sometimes even though Snyder is a very humble guy and he says things such as I'd like to work on smaller books and I'd like to write my own stories and things like that. I don't think he has any problem, you know, doing whatever he wants to do with a book if he's given the opportunity. Yeah. And I don't, I I think he likes writing in longer form. I mean, look at his creator books like American vampire, witches or the wake, you know, they ain't none of those. He's telling two issue stories. You know, they're all 12 issue, somewhere around their issue. So I think that's just the length he's comfortable in. I think he may have a desire to, uh, to try to write shorter stories, but I just don't think it's in him. Not really. Yeah. And the other thing to keep in mind is just think of it like this. Batman was coming out twice a month. We would only have to wait six months to see a 12 month story arc or, or, you know, 12 issue story arc, I should say. So <sighs> half as much time to happen for a story arc, or he could tell even a longer story arc. That still lasts 12 months, but it's 24 issues, which in my mind would be insane. But. Yeah, yeah. I guess the question becomes really the art there, right? What do you do? Do you have the new artist do a story and then Capullo do a story and the new guy, you know, like. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, when you look at it from the perspective of one of the biggest complaints that you hear from people is that Snyder's stories read better in trade. And they do. And they do. Yeah. There's no denying that. So if you could have. 
the story that, you know, takes 12 months to come out normally, come out in only six months, wouldn't that be better for the story itself? It would be if you, if you could do it the right way in the art. I mean, one of the best things about the Snyder stories and Capullo and him since the New 52 for me is that the art has been beautifully consistent, right? You know exactly what Capullo is drawing. Yes, there's an occasional issue where he takes a break, but I'd only want to do this if you could have Capullo and then whoever the other artist is, but do a full story with him and then a full story with the next one. I don't want to see an every other issue effect where, you know what I'm saying? One guy draws one issue, one guy draws one issue, one guy draws, and it's all in the same story. Um, so that would be my only concern about that. All right. Then he goes on to say, looking at sales for another huge splashy title, Star Wars, which started at a million copies for number one, I'd say Dustin is probably right in his estimate for the finale sales, this, as the sixth issue of Star Wars was selling around 150,000 issues. Um, he then goes on to say, I think it's telling that Gotham Academy, Black Canary, and Batgirl are all among the books which are really, really delayed, and that Brandon Fletcher is the common factor in all of those titles. I really hope those teams get things together, but it's not promising that they're double soliciting Batgirl in February so that they can make the 50th issue on time. I just don't see that happening at this point. I have to say I'm really unexcited about the We Are Robin Joker gang storyline. I think that the idea of Robin gang is a good one. Mayho has zero sense of pacing an event, and he has flashy stuff happen, but it's been a half a year with the exception of Duke, which is in a lot of the other titles, and Rico, who got her own standalone issue, almost nothing has engaged, especially in getting a sense of the Robins as an organization and as a characters. I'm still frustrated that I have more connection to the Robin who died, Troy, through his one-paragraph character sketch than anything that he did in three issues, plus the eight-page preview which was actually more interesting than most of the full-length issues. I really feel this is because We Are Robin is an unhappy compromise between what the Bat Offices wants, a Duke Thomas-centric story where new characters can be grown, and what Bermejo wants, which is a gritty, super-realistic look at street gangs and real-life vigilantes. And yes, Dustin, the scare quotes are important. I, I, since I feel like Bermejo's attitude is more than a bit pretentious, though I'm sure he's a nice guy. We've gotten, we've gotten much more sense about, of both the Robin group and the characters from Tom King's Robin War number one and Grayson Robin War issue than in all the We Are Robin issues. Though Duke's perspective of the Jim, of the Jason Tim strategic fight was well done in the We Are Robin issue for Robin War. So, regarding this, I, you know, you're, I don't really have a whole lot to say because you basically agreed with me completely. Uh, I mean, but the thing is, that's the problem with We Are Robin. It's, it, it just exists. It doesn't feel like this is something that's going to be long-term. Uh, I mean, at the end of Robin War, we basically see Duke Thomas leave the team because he says that they're not Robins. And we, at least based off the solicitations, we see that uh, Duke is going to be working with some of the actual Robins, you know, potentially training with some of them. So in my mind, it just comes across as, this is not a long-term plan, and taking Duke, and if Duke doesn't get out of the book after what happened at the end of Robin War, it bewilders me to a degree of uh, insanity that I just cannot deal with. Um, because that would basically be being, well, we wanted this book to be involved in the, the, the thing, but we don't want anything to actually affect this book going forward. And that is stupid. And this book probably should be affected more so than some of the other books, because the other books can carry on with stories... Dick can go back to Spiral, even though he's a member of 
the Court of Owls, who knows, you What's know, up all with that, that stuff. By the way? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it just feels like We Are Robin should have a huge effect because of everything that just occurred. So because of that, we should see some ramifications. And if we don't, it just shows that the book has no direction. It doesn't have like an end t- end game. It's just basically here's a story of these kids, but there's no direction of where we're going with it. Yeah, and it, and he brings up uh, Brandon Fletcher here, who I really like his work a lot, but he does seem to be his books do seem to be suffering a lot of delays right now. I'm wondering if maybe he's just got too many titles on his shoulder, you know, with Academy, Canary, and Batgirl. Um, I'm wondering if he just got too much on his plate, and maybe they should shift one of those books to somebody else. Uh, we Are Robin, for me, has... I'm not saying it's poorly done, because I don't think it is. I just don't find it to be that interesting. You know? Um, which is weird, because if, if if you got people like me thinking that, then I can't imagine what the general public, you know, that's not as invested in the Batman world things. But yeah, I, I kind of agree. We Are Robin doesn't seem to really have anything. I mean, Duke is didn't need that book. He's prominent in Batman right now, so... It's not like we needed this book to introduce his character. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with this comment. Um, and I think Fletcher maybe should shift the title. I'd be curious, Stella, what do you think about the delays? Cause those are your main core books with Batgirl and, and them. So do you think that they should maybe move, move them around on something or? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think the least is successful for me is, um, is Black Canary yeah. and, and I sort of wonder how long can it honestly last, you know, being in a rock band. And, of course, there's this mystery right now with Ditto and the, and the husband and everything. Um, but comparatively, I think that Batgirl and uh, Gotham Academy would be the ones to to save and everything. Uh, yeah, it's just been really weird. And I don't like issues getting bunched up, like when you get shipped double, like with which is what happened with Gotham Academy, you know, 12 and 13. Um, I don't know. I like my spacing, I guess, between them. But uh, I, I guess, uh, I mean, people, I think, are really diehard Fletcher fans, honestly. You know, what I was seeing right. at um, San Diego Comic-Con with people really being pumped and stoked about Gotham Academy and, and having cosplayers in actual vests with the Gotham Academy crest on it and everything. So I, I feel like because he has such a following um, – He'll be pushed to do more. But if I were to see any of those three books drop, I think, honestly, it would be Black Canary first. Well, and couldn't you kind of go with the Snyder version with, like, the Tenyon, where he gets, like, an understudy that he really likes and he helps yeah, just diagram the story? Yeah, but, he, yep. but here's the thing. Every single one of those books, except for Black Canary, has somebody else working with him on the story. Right. You know, Cameron Stewart's on Batgirl with him. you got Becky Cloonan on Gotham Academy. Black Canary is the only book that he's actually writing solely by himself. So to me, it doesn't come, it doesn't make any sense in my mind as to why it can't happen. And if he is the, like, yes, he's the underlying connection between all of those books being potentially delayed. We don't know if he is the reason behind it. Gotham Academy has been plagued with issues because of the art. That's part of the reason why that book has been delayed so much. So much so that Carl Kershaw's last issue was the beginning of December. He's not coming back, even though he was the main artist that was attached to the project initially. That could also explain why we're seeing these yearbook issues with three different artists writing stories, or not writing, but drawing stories in the books because, you know, they don't have a main artist right now. So, I don't know. In, in in my mind, it comes across as if he is the common factor as to why all these books are being delayed, then they need to they need to f- 
figure it out. And if it's eliminating one of the books, like Stella said, Black Canary probably is the first one to go. But you know, it sucks because Black Canary really like was got off the rails, didn't it? Like, yeah. Because it's I liked it when it started the first I don't know two or three issues, but then the reveal with her husband in the last issue was one of the true what the moments and sometimes. I think they just need to, I mean, why not merge it? I think if we're going this team yeah. Batgirl, uh, sort of new up and coming birds of prey, then that is the perfect opportunity to, you know, end their, their tour, uh, the Black Canary tour and bring her back and then start something up. And that would alleviate some stress if there is any on, which I can imagine on Brendan Fletcher. So there, are, it's, it's such an easy way, I feel, to segue into, into having, um, Black Canary merge in with, with everybody else. Alright, so then he goes on to say, does Stella read Omega Men? I do not. She? Okay. Really excited to hear all the support for Carrie Kelly and the cow. I think it's an exciting idea, but I have no doubt Bruce is going to be going around kicking some butt at some point. To weigh in as a regular reviewer of the Eternal title on the Great Cast Debate, I think it's absolutely clear that the child that David Kane pulls from the car is not Cass. What? One, she is wearing the same color as Cass in the next issue, but it's a dress, not the tunic and pants combo that Cass is wearing later. Two, the girl in the car is much, much too old for David's experiment to start. She's already walking, with memories of her family, which indicates she's almost certainly verbal. While you could argue that Sculptor could erase that from her mind, I seriously doubt that David Kane would trust that kind of drastic brain alteration for his perfect experiment. Also, I tweeted at Briston about this, but no response yet. And while I agree with Dustin that we still need to find out how Batman actually meets Cass and what his relationship with her was by the, by Endgame, I think he doesn't give number 13 its due. The whole thing was really carefully, intelligently crafted so that the hug between Batman and Cassandra was a very emotional and, and earned way. Of course, listening to my old ratings for 11 and 12, I kind of feel like I might have overrated those issues after how good number 13 was. Uh, all right, so going off of the comments about Eternal, I'm glad to hear that someone else believes that Cass is not that person pulled out of the car. Um, I also asked our resident Cass lover, Donovan, his thoughts on it. He said that he believes that it is, in fact, Cass who was pulled out of the car. Um, He's always been a pretty smart guy. <laughs> but he, he said that he, he thought it was, and he then went on to give me this detailed explanation as to why it doesn't need to make why it doesn't need to be David Kane's actual biological daughter um, in the in the original stories of Cass she was never actually revealed to be David Kane's biological daughter until very very late on and even then it really didn't become a giant factor where she needed to be his biological daughter in order for her to be trained and you know acted as if he was her father so um, in that regard, due to the fact that it was previously, you know, that's how her character previously was. It was ambiguous up until a point. I don't really think it makes that big of a difference, but I still don't think, th at least the way it's portrayed in the book, does not make it clear cut as to what it is. I don't think it's foolproof. I don't think it's, you know, it is absolute, but I still think that that's what it is. And yeah, I keep my, my opinion as well. All right. And then finally, he says, also to remind everyone, Damien and Stephanie Brown will be at least in the finale of Eternal, as promised in the eight-page preview. As Stephanie Brown fan, I want to point out that she has only had drips and drops of appearances in the New 52, while Damien, except when he was dead, he has always been a title character. And... 
Also, that Maya in Robinson of Batman fills out a somewhat similar role to Stephanie's role in Damien's life during Stephanie's run as Batgirl, which I loved. Uh, and then he finally says, holy cow, I've made up for my lack of commenting for the past few podcasts. So, great comment, Ian. There was obviously a lot to go off of there, but it was a good, there was a lot of good points to talk about. So, uh, moving on, Stella sent a comment yeah. that said, OMG, bloopers, Anna McGruff. That was seriously, yeah, that was, uh, well done by you, young man. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, I, I did throw in a, a, a unique blooper. <laughs> Mostly because it didn't fit where, with where it was, but I, I thought it was funny enough to keep it, so. Yeah. Well done. No promises on future episodes. Well done. But see, here's the funny thing. My, 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 uh, my co-host here complimented me on that, but I literally left them a Christmas present of bloopers on episode number 176, and they never even noticed. <laughs> I'm sorry! So, Merry Christmas to you. Oh, listen, that's... All right. Moving on, Donovan said, about the hug between Bruce and Cassandra, it's actually a reoccurring motif between two characters. Say what you want, uh, or say what you can about Batman and his various partners, but Cassandra was the one character post-crisis who was strongly implied to serve as a daughter figure for him throughout their partnership. In the first few years of her title, she was even partnered with him in other books. He showed up in her title way more than he ever did in Tim's comics, and most pertinently, they're seen hugging almost regularly throughout the series. It's the last thing we see him do before her, or with her before Batman R.A.P. And since this is the first time we've seen the two characters together since then, we were seeing them hug once more. For me as a fan, it just goes to serve more of a strong bond to the two have despite having different continuities because you've never seen him hug Dick or Tim or anyone else. Or if you do, it's far and few less times compared to Cass. About Damien being excised from the Snyder books, I can say that during the character 75th, 76th anniversary and Robin Wars, it's a bit pants. <laughs> what does that mean? Pants However, means not exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. However, it really isn't un- unfamiliar to me personally, as there have been numerous times where a Robin would logically show up in a story, but didn't. When Jason Todd was dying in the pages of Batman, John Wagner and Alan Grant were just not mentioning it in Detective Comics. Heck, in Hush, a story about Batman's world, rogues and allies, and Cassandra Kane and, and, ugh. a story about Batman's world, rogues and allies, Cassandra Kane is conspicuously absent throughout the entire story. Rumor is it that Jim Lee straight up dislikes the character. That's harder to take than Snyder having real problems over involving a little boy in a world where the narrative is ruled by violence, even if that's his job. I don't know. If I'm not reading the books, I'm not reading the books nearly as consistently as three of you are, but Damien's absence just not, just doesn't strike me as outrageously odd because there's a precedent for it in plenty of Batman runs going back to the early days of post-crisis. Besides, Damien will be, will last longer than Snyder at the end of the day. It's not like this will be how, this is not how it will be forever. So, um, dealing with this, the Damien stuff, we've talked about this at length before, so I'm not going to delve too deep into it. But, you know, to a degree, yes, there are instances throughout the continuity where, you know, other characters that are part of Batman's, you know, the Bat, the Bat family have not appeared in major events. You point out Cassandra Kane and Hush. Um, but the thing is, when it's something as drastic as Bruce Wayne's dead, that's something that needs to be addressed in some book. But they don't, like, and the disconnect for me is not so much like I, you know, you know, the, there was a comment earlier about, you know, uh, Ian had said, 
oh, well, you know, uh, Damien's got his own book. You know, he, you know, he, it's, he's not necessarily that looked, up, looked past because he has his own book. Yeah. He has his own story. And I agree with that. But the problem is the fact that the character has his own book, but it's not addressed that his father's dead. That's something that's a problem. You know, the fact that now his father is not dead. The, the, the biggest glaring thing in my mind is, Bruce isn't dead. He lost his memories, but we have no reference that nobody tells him he has a son. That's a problem. Well, how would you explain it to him? You have a son, but he's off killing monsters with his mother, who is also the head of the League of Assassins. Like, this is supposed to be Bruce, who doesn't have any of the cognitive resources to be Batman. How do you explain that to him? How do you explain where Damien's gone? You know? You can't. That's the problem. You really, you really can't. And the thing is, I'm not saying that they have to explain where he is, but what I am saying is that they need to, if the characters exist, which they are with, exist within the same timeline, they they have to get to a point yes. where they can explain how they exist in the same timeline. You know, if they want to say, okay, you know, like we talked about when, during Batman Eternal, Damien never existed in Batman Eternal, there was no explanation as to where he was, dead. you know, he was dead, and, you know, even when we had him, we had like this, we, when he comes in contact, Batman comes in contact with Ra's al Ghul, there's no reference to the fact that he's dead. You know, there's, there's some glaring problems there. And I'm not saying it needs to all be explained or that Damien needs to be present and everything. What I'm saying is when you have something as massive as Bruce Wayne is dead and then he comes back to life, Somehow you need to address that in some book. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's not in Batman. If Snyder doesn't want to do Damien, fine. But then some other book has Grayson to do that. Yeah. You know, they had Grayson show him reuniting with Damien after Damien was back to life and after uh, Dick revealed that he was still alive to all the members of the Bat family. It happened. That was the first time Damien appeared in a book outside of his own in ages. I mean, and that's the problem. You have these characters that exist. You're you're wanting everyone to say, hey, this is happening, fine. But if you don't want to address the fact of these giant events, and I'm sorry, anybody who wants to say that Bruce Wayne dying wasn't a giant event is full of crap, because well, it is. Yes, but I, I think the way they could have handled it, and it could have been in Batman or it could have been in, in his own book, was like you said, you didn't need to spend 17 issues on it. They could have just had one scene with Damien saying... To Alfred, you know, the guy, that guy in there with no memory, that's not my father. You know, like my father was the Batman, blah, 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 And I don't and know who that guy is. And, and then I'm, he goes on his, yeah, his quest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some explanation, a two page explanation would have been appreciated. Um, so I do agree with that. One thing I want to hit on that Donovan says here, which I do agree with, and I am curious what you guys thought because we didn't cover it, but he says Robin Moore is a bit pants. I didn't like that at all. Not what he said. I didn't like Robin Moore. I just thought it didn't. What was the point in that? With Batman and Robin Eternal going on at the same time, what was the point of Robin War? I okay, well, let's just talk about Robin War for a second because I, I don't I haven't read through all of the comments to know whether or not there's gonna be a good time to bring it up. Let's just bring it up now. Okay. So the end of Robin War is pants. <laughs> is yeah, is is basically the the gist of the end of Robin War is that it just sets up something that's going to happen in Grayson, uh, which happens to be written by Tom King, who also happened to write who's uh, Robin War 1 and 2, but also was the main writer behind Robin War. Um, so he basically had an event to set something up that's going to happen in Grayson. That's basically what it comes down to. The very end of the issue has 
the Robins, uh, the We Are Robins kind of disbanding because Duke doesn't want to have anything to do with them because he realizes that they're completely untrained compared to all of the real Robins. Um, he ends up befriending Damien. Um, Damien is brought into the Court of Owls by Lincoln March, but only by some sort of stupid threat that Damien, uh, to unleash some horrible talons. And Lincoln March convinces Damien to become, um, the gray son of Gotham. And then only to, at the end, him go against the Talons and then Dick Grayson rightfully take his place as the Grayson of Gotham. Haha, <laughs> Grayson, Grayson, um, of Gotham. Yeah, uh, and then he dones a Court of Owls mask at the very end and then it says whatever's going to happen is going to play out in the pages of Grayson. But here's the thing. Everything that happened as far as, you know, the laws being, uh, inst- instituted by the Gotham government, uh, the Robins being rounded up, all of that you can p- completely just wipe aside. They could have just told what, yeah, really. what the main point of what happened here. You could have told him maybe two issues of Grayson, you know, as as Grayson dealing with the Court of Owls because they're approaching him. They could have threatened him. And he could have joined to save Gotham, and then that could have been played out. That's the problem. the The event itself, in my mind, no, it really wasn't worth the five weeks it should have been and then or the six weeks it should have been and then it lasted an extra week because Robin War number two for whatever reason was delayed an extra week. But there wasn't a whole lot of there really wasn't a whole lot that came out of it. I mean like, okay, fine, you have I mean, the one thing that was kind of good was we saw Damien actually interacting with the other people within the Bat Batman universe, which we don't tend to see that often. Um but I, like I said earlier, who knows if this is actually going to play off, you know, if We Are Robin is actually going to go in the direction of they're not longer, they're no longer a team because Duke doesn't want to have anything to do with them. You know, there's a lot of like gaping holes as to how, you know, what the actual ramifications throughout the other series are actually going to be. And I feel like Grayson is the one series that will have some sort of ramifications, but it has nothing actually to do with the Robin War itself. It has to do with the Court of Owls approaching him. And I think the timing for this was bad. Uh, just throwing it on eternal, t- you know, like how many Robin team up books do you need at one? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, I was there at San Diego comic con when this news broke and it could, besides eternal, I think it, it could have potentially have been the biggest Batman related news that broke. And for all of the hype, I mean, just this idea of Robin war, going through all the sort of younger-aged books, not, you know, that they're all ages, but the fact that, you know, teenagers are in these books like Gotham Academy and things like that, um, it, it was a bit of a letdown. And I think there were really interesting moments, um, moments that turned my head, you know, when Dick Grayson basically betrayed everybody <laughs> and, said, and got them There's that, up. yeah. Yeah, there's that moment. I uh, got them walked up and, and sort of the comedic almost uh, interactions between Damien and the others when, you know, they're all locked up and, and trying to get out there. And then of course the reveal of the owls, which, you know, they're sort of always there. Right. Um, and to have that resurgence of, of Lincoln March and everything. Um, I, I felt like it had some potential, but then when I read Robin war number two, uh, I was just like, what is going on? You know, we start off with this, this chubby character there, um, you sort of bookend him beginning and end, and uh, someone whom I, I didn't care about at all, uh, and just really, it seemed like a mishmash, things that just did not 
go well together. I, I felt that um, there was some flow in in the uh, in the sequence of events. You know, when we were going to the different issues, the tie-ins weren't necessary. I don't think Gotham Academy didn't really work for me, but it, it all came down to this Robin War too. That was really a bit of a stinker. I feel like I don't know what I gave. Now I kind of want to give it a thumbs down, but. I guess the whole point of it was, you know, to end with Dick being somewhat in league with the Court of Owls, which is now worldwide that we realize is the Parliament of Owls. So who knows who is going to take up that storyline? Uh, Damien, I guess sort of the trigger, their hands are always going to be on the trigger because that bomb is never really going to weigh. It's, it's always going to be in his mask that could potentially kill him. And so. You know, Dick is is there working for them. And then you have the Duke Thomas and Damien thing, which was a bit of a head-scratcher for me, if only because it's an intriguing idea, but I have no idea where you can take this. Are you going to write that in the We Are Robin story? Are you going to write it with Damien being on that island? Because these two characters don't interact at all. This was like the event to have them interact. Um, but, but I felt like, you know, this Robin war... It was an intriguing idea. I think it reflected real life events that were going on, you know, with, with sort of the cops and, and the people and the interactions and relationships between us now that is very tension filled. And then you've got the Court of Owls. I think there was potential there, but it just, it fell flat and I almost wish that it would have ended and then like stopped the We Are Robin book um, because I don't know where you go from there. Um, it, it's not like there's this tacit agreement now between the Robins and the police that they're going to be okay. The kids are still going to do what they're doing. It's like this This event changed nothing, basically. Didn't do and anything. Yeah. It, it didn't really. Um, it, it was a big sort of load of kiss, even though you bring in people that we, we knew were there pulling the strings somehow. Um, and I just don't know these big threads, the Dick Grayson, the Damien and the Duke, these big threads that connect somehow have no books to connect them really. Um, unless you're going to start doing crossovers. And I think that's the problem with um, some writers not wanting to deal with other characters, because if you're putting your foot down like that, then this is just going to be like, why did I read this? Why did I buy this? Um, because I'm not going to know if Damien and Duke do, in fact, share a popcorn at the movie theater. I'm not going to know that. Um, so I am disappointed in this, and it's kind of shocking that, again, looking back in July and thinking that this was the explosive news that came out and everyone was wondering what was going on, that really, it, it led us to nothing. Tagline of Robin War, led us to nothing. <laughs> true, very true, though. Uh, Alright, next, Ian chimed in with Don and said, Totally agree with you, Donovan. Bruce and Cassandra's relationship has always been one of the special closeness, both emotionally and physically, and the writers did often show them embracing. That's why I love, that's what I love about Tinian. He seems to truly love the old continuity that he's bringing forward, whether it's Stephanie Brown, Tim Drake, or Cassandra Kane, and include intelligently updated character moments. In Red Robin number 17, Bruce and Tim do hug right before, right after Bruce's return, but it does stand out as an isolated occurrence, unlike the many, many significant hugs Bruce and Cassandra shared in her own series, or at the end of Redemption Road. I didn't realize a cast would have been present, should have been present during Hush, because I read it in a way later, and somewhat divorced from other continuity. That is a shame. Alright, next, Gary says, Ed, I agree with Red's... I agree. Reds would be the perfect name for Tim and Jason team of books. Score. I, I still disagree with that, but. You're wrong. That's um, <laughs> you know, knowing DC, it'll be Red Hood slash 
Red uh, Robin if it ends up being because they do slash for everything. They do like slash, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Uh, having these two book in a, or having these two in a book would be terrific use of them and give DC a place to use some of the other Robin-esque characters after Robin year is done. I have to admit that I'm not a fan of the large team books, which is why I find, which is what I find interesting is a relationship between characters which doesn't work with too many team members. Jason and Tim are so different and play off each other so well that I'd love to see them at the center of a book. On the topic of team up books, everyone's and everyone's hate of the current Secret Six, I want to give my opinion. Yes, the first arc with Riddler was an absolute train wreck. There were production problems which caused the timeline to get all out of whack, and the Dibneys, particularly Sue, were treated disgracefully. The current arc is a Lovecraftian magical universe which I naturally like. Even so, the current plot line is barely holding it together, though the art is so beautiful it distracts from some of the other problems. The most promising character in the book is Black Alice, a powerful but troubled teen that is struggling to figure out how to use her, her powers responsibly. In Secret Six, though, she is either moody and depressed and locked up in a room or passed out from overusing her powers. When she is in the book, it is much better. She has a strong relationship with other characters, which is interesting. This is the problem with these large team books. All of the characters need their page time, and it dilutes the character progression. DC should find some way to team Black Alice up with as she struggles to figure out her use of magic. The maybe Zatanna, Constantine, or Swamp Thing, surely DC can find a way to use a powerful emo teen in a way that would appeal to a younger demographic. Finally, you guys mentioned about the good old, good unhinged art. I couldn't help but to be reminded of the art in We Are Robin number 4 by James Harvey, Diana Ega, and Alex Jaffe. Totally out of character for the rest of the series, but wow, some crazy good stuff. All right, so going off your comments about Secret Six, I agree there is a problem with team books. Uh, you see a lot; it happened a lot with Justice League and uh, Justice League of America like recently. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have Suicide Squad. There's always an issue where you know, are you giving each member of the team an actual, um, you know, the right amount of time? And sometimes it feels like they're they're you know they have a story to tell. Uh, with a certain, or focusing on a specific character, but the other characters are just kind of like background to whatever else is going on. That is the downfall of team books, but that tends to be the case. Uh, very rarely do you actually see the teams, like Justice League is probably one of the few titles that actually has things that are happening to all of the members of the team. Um, Jeff Johns has done a pretty good job since the beginning of the New 52 with Justice League, where it doesn't feel as if they are focusing only on one element of, you know, or one character's universe from the Justice League, um, specifically with dealing with the new gods and, and the, uh, and dark side and the, all that stuff that's going on right now. Every character as part of the Justice League actually feels like they have a purpose, um, in some way. And that's not the case, you know, over in Justice League of America right now, we have them focusing on Rao, which is a ancient Kryptonian god. Which clearly, you know, spins, you know, spins out of the Superman universe and dealing more with the Superman universe and Superman, you know, doing what he normally does, which is everything's good and great and Batman doing the typical no, he's not to be trusted type thing, which we see a lot. And part of the, some, and then you also see on the flip side of that, we also see the books where it's just like Batman, Superman or, uh, Red Hood Arsenal, where they do focus on these, like, smaller elements from 
the one of the two characters' universes, but when you blend the two universes together, they very rarely actually work. Yeah, I mean, this is why writing a team book isn't as easy as people probably think it is, right? Uh, Jeff Johns has done a really good job with his Justice League run of, one, highlighting different characters and different story arcs, realizing that you can't have every character going on, and in major arcs, um, you know, you know, keeping everyone involved. Uh, yeah, you know, Secret Six, though, I'm sorry. I, I know that I, I just, it's been bad. The first arc was terrible, and I, I don't imagine it's getting any better. It's been some good art moments in it, but I think Simone's writing in it has just not been been best work, to put it mildly. Or it's just Simone's work in general, in my opinion. But There you go. Uh, Gary also said, oh, and that word that I used last episode that you beep, believe it or not, the etymology of the word originally referred to God and then to a rooster. Not, uh, well, anything that needs beeping. Look it up. Glad to see you are keeping this a family joke. I told home. you. I knew it wasn't a word that needed to be bleeped, but I didn't want someone <laughs> to accidentally hear just that part of the word and be like, huh. And then get upset about the fact that we have this listed as a clean podcast and that word was said. Okay. I understand that it wasn't specifically meant in the context in a bad way. I just did it out of necessity of trying to make sure that I don't angry any parents that could potentially be listening to the podcast in the car with their kids. Fair. So, uh, next, Bill says, I'm definitely on board for a Red Series. Yes! Currently, both characters are being very well written together in Robin War and Batman Robin Eternal and something I'd like to see on a monthly basis. It has the combined star power that Ed referenced, which, along with some good writing, good being the keyword, could have some real momentum and longevity for a series. On the Snyder-Damian topic, I really do like Snyder's work and can sometimes be a Snyder apologist. That being said, Batman and Robin was one of my favorite books, and I was not happy that it came to an end just to fit in with the Snyder's Back Gordon story. I just love the dynamic and the growth between Bruce and Damien and want that to come back. Granted, Damien has his own book, and I, th- but I just think his interactions with the Bat family make makes for far more interesting stories. Snyder has said he won't write Damien, which is fine given his reasons, but Bruce isn't even in the Batsuit, and we still haven't seen him interact with Damien or made aware of his existence. Or made aware of his existence. He could pop in and wouldn't even need to be in danger, but just seeing his dad. This could just be a great time for Snyder to explore the father-son relationship without them being in danger. It just is a little strange. Again, I really like Snyder in his work. I just think he takes the whole no Damien rule a little too far, and he could have come up with a creative way to at least show Damien in the current in the current cherry running, beardy, and happy life that Bruce has now, or at least for the few more issues. Any thoughts on a return to Bruce Damien in a future Batman Robin series? Just not feeling Duke as the next Robin. Give given the lack of formal training, but I'm sure that's what's where Snyder is headed. Maybe there will be a Batman and Robin Bruce Duke month, monthly series with Snyder writing. He did say he would be in Gotham for a while, but not specifically on the Batman title. Also, Dark Knight 3 definitely pulled off a Star Wars 7 opening. I'm sure that between all the variant cover hype, along with the nostalgia that swept over many older comic book fans who haven't been reading the current titles but want to return to our loved Dark Knight Returns universe, boosted that, provided that boost to reach record numbers. Nevertheless, the sure drop for the second issue was significant. By the way, I'm very much enjoying the TBU by the numbers segment discussions. Great podcast as usual, everyone. All right. So going again to the Damien stuff, we've already said, Basically, this is just playing off of exactly what Ed, you just said, you know, 
have a moment between Damien and Bruce yeah. and then just move on. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. And honestly, Bill has a point here when he says this is the perfect time to do it where you don't have to have Damien involved in any way, shape, or form with the violence that's going on in Gotham. You just have him as the actual boy who, or, you know, the son to the father and having that moment. That is a moment that you could do without having anything to do with anything else because Batman's not in, you know, Bruce Wayne is not Batman. He has nothing to do with any of this other stuff. You just have that father-son moment. And maybe the part of, part of it is, I don't know, like, I don't know that going off of Snyder's interactions with characters, Snyder has does not have, in my mind, a very good track record when it comes to being able to portray the Bat family in a way that is likable. No. And I think a good moment probably where... He, you know, I think Damien might show up at the end of when we have a new status quo with Bruce back. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe just if it's in Damien's book, it doesn't need to be in Batman. But I think the other natural place would be him showing up for Julie and Bruce's wedding slash Julie's funeral, which I'm sure will, <laughs> you know, which I'm sure will happen within days of each other. Oh, why you gotta make me do, like, cry and be sad? You know it's gonna happen, Stella. You know there is no way. I don't no want it way. to. I, I, listen, I actually like the idea of a real long-term love interest for Bruce. Not yeah. this uh, flavor of the month slash writer thing. Um, and if anyone's got the clout to make it stick, I guess it would be Snyder. And in a way, I could very much see Snyder doing a little, you know, I'm going to kill this girl, right? And just literally never doing it and just expecting us to kill her every issue. So maybe, maybe she'll stick around. Maybe me and Dustin will both be wrong. I doubt it. I, or maybe I she'll be in the ground by this time next month. Yeah. I'm pretty, no, I'm, I'm sure, like, w- next episode we'll be doing 48. I don't think it'll happen in 48, but 49. I think it is going to happen by 49. By the latest, it will happen in 49. Oh. I honestly feel like that's what's going to prompt him to put the suit back on. Yeah. Nope. All right. The last comment we have comes from Bob. He's, it says, okay, okay, so guys, I'm not complaining because I'm not sure if other people put this name forward as well, but I really feel good about the fact that my personal choice was getting run, even though I'm almost positive that when you announced the winner of the segment that pertains to the expandable stable, expanded stable, you announced Gotham Gazette as the winner. Now, my choice has been Greater Gotham from the start, so I'm not complaining if that's what you guys are going to use, but I just want to be sure once and for all, because I want to brag to my friends who don't care and fiance who couldn't possibly, who couldn't possibly roll her eyes any harder, that the name I came up with is getting used. So, is it Greater Gotham for sure? Because I thought I lost after Thanksgiving when you chose Times or Gazette, and now I'm just confused. If I'm unclear on this, this is me voting early and often for Greater. So, Bob, it is, in fact, Greater Gotham. We kind of had this argument last episode. I did write it down on my paper so that I don't forget it every single time. Yeah, I think we have an argument every episode. Because I honestly, yeah, I think there was like three different episodes in a row where I kept changing the name because I said it was one thing and then I forgot the name and then I just finally, it is going to be Greater Gotham. That is what it is. Um, and this is now called the Bat Signal. The yeah, and, and Listener Q&As is now called the Bat Signal. That is that is right. So uh, that is what it is. Go ahead and brag to all of your friends and your fiancé and wait for the eyes to roll. So with that, that is all of our... Uh, comments that we have over on the website. Uh, I want to remind everybody to head over to the website to leave your comments for the next episode. Obviously, we spent a lot of time with comments, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because we had no news this time around. 
Um, uh, I will say that next episode we will, in fact, have a discussion about Cassandra Cain, mm-hmm. um, as prepared by Donovan. Um, yes, yes, that guy, Donovan. Um, but uh, next episode we'll have that, but I implore you to keep leaving those comments. We love seeing these comments. We love talking about the stuff that you guys write in, so keep doing it. We love them. Um, in addition to that, head over to the website for all the editorials that we have to offer um, and as well as all the comic reviews that we are posting on a weekly basis. Be sure to check all of those out and comment on those as well. Chat with the guys who are writing those reviews, guys and gals that are writing those reviews, and be sure to start a conversation about you know some of those titles that you are liking and some of the problems you are having. You know, chat with the guys and gals who are doing those. You know, it it if it was me who was writing a review, I like seeing comments, just like I like seeing comments on the podcast. It makes it worth my time to do it, but also it's nice to interact and get ideas from the readers who might have different opinions and different ideas of how things are occurring in the books than I do. Uh, that being said, uh, also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. Be sure to join our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans about everything that's happening in the Batman universe. And as I mentioned in the last episode, I am looking for additional comic book reviewers. At this point, I'm looking for about three reviewers uh, to, to, to review a number of different books, including some of the new books that are coming out this month. Um, so if you are interested at all in reviewing some of the TBU books... Shoot us an email, tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. We'll get in touch with you and try to get you set up to review stuff over on the website. In addition to that, check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer on the website. And as I mentioned, leave your comments on the podcast post on the website. So with that, that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And don't forget the next time where me and Stella will have to admit to Dustin that he was right about something that we were wrong about. Ooh, and this is Little Debbie, and I admit to nothing. You've been listening to the (laughs) Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Goodbye.